So, New Zealand rugby, mm -hmm. Japan, uh, uh, and now MLR, and also France as well. Uh, we have the one and only Craig Cooper. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. Sure. We really appreciate sure. it. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> coming um, to the States to, to coach this team, I was actually very excited because I think you you find that perfect marriage between um, Northern Hemisphere Rugby and Southern Hemisphere Rugby and you marry those two things very well and I think for, for North America to have our own style of rugby, it's going to take um, that kind of marriage to be able to, to find new things and to, to, to be our own our, our own thing. Uh, so I was I was super stoked to see see your name on the roster. Yeah, you know, I think I think the one thing about America and, and rugby, like you say, it's it's well the MR, MLR is is young, six years. So I, I look looking at that, but I think the one thing about Americans and rugby and, and rugby is the physicality. Mm. You know, like look at American football, arguably the most physical game you know in the world. Uh, it's it's brutal at times, and in rugby it's physical. You, you, you know you can't escape the fact that it's a physical game. And the other thing about Americans is there's a lot of athleticism in the athletes here. So the one thing missing is probably like we have in New Zealand at age five, we have a rugby ball, mm. and things become quite natural and you know, there's a lot of instinct involved in rugby. And you know you're playing in the backyard and you do all that sort of thing. We don't do that in America. So. That's the one thing that's going to take a bit of extra time. Uh, you know, you tend to get a lot of these players at a later, you know, later stage in their lives. So, you know, you might get a rugby player, someone converts to rugby at 18, 19, 20, 21. Whereas, you know, they'll be, they've already had a lot of a lot of rugby life in New Zealand and places like New Zealand. Well, my sons are, are so incredibly excited about rugby and I think that MLR actually adds a, a huge factor to that because mm. now we can, we can take them, we can show them what the game is and they can see it with their their own homegrown heroes. I mean, Lance Williams is a great example of that and my kids love him and, and they want to go see him every week. Yeah, so. and I think we're lucky here, Will. I mean, the the rugby community is such a strong rugby community. And, you know, I've, you know, like I say, I've been around a lot of places. France is incredibly passionate about rugby. Uh, Japanese are passionate about rugby as well. There's a long history to rugby in Japan uh, and, and obviously New Zealand. But this is a really passionate rugby community you know, like you know, we're getting some big crowds here and you know, we've got a game coming up and we're expecting another sellout so you know that is exciting so you know I'm not surprised I mean the amount of people that I've met this year who are new to the game and new to the Warriors and you know, repeat you know, get a visit to the Warriors games I think it's that's for me it's really exciting I mean I I'm myself I only found rugby at 22 years old when I moved to England yeah so I I I'm right there with everybody else. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people about rugby, and even I've got to be careful. Some of the things I, you know, I say because I take it for granted that the players and, and most of the players will clearly understand rugby terminology that I will use because it's international rugby terminology. But then I've got to realise that there are some, like yourself, new to the game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got a, one player on the side who's an absolute 
I think, a beast of a man when it comes to the physical side of it. But in terms of the rugby understanding, he's young when it comes to that. Well, then I was going to ask you this question because I, talking with the assistant coach for the Jazz, mm -hmm. something that he talks about is that, well, we're no longer in player development. We're now a professional team, and so we want to actually, like, teach schemes, teach these plays, teach this kind of stuff that you wouldn't normally get in, in a lower tier. But here in the MLR, you still have to think about developing players. How has that affected your head coaching and your ability to coach players? Well, I think I'm probably fortunate that I've actually been to France where I've actually had to look at how do I coach in a foreign country? Mm. You know, how do I get my message across? So, whereas I'm in New Zealand, I, I you know, I go and talk to one, I talk to players who really understand the game, but two is understand the language. Now in France they clearly understand the game, but then as a teacher, I've got to try and get it through to them in the way I need to get it through. So Japan was exactly the same. So I had a little bit of opportunity to to understand that I can't coach like I may have coached when things are simple. I've actually got to coach, I actually do have to coach simple in a way that I am teaching players. Um, about the game, even though they, they understand the language, the, the actual English language, I do sometimes have to take it to a level that is lower than I'm used to, but then again, I've had to teach differently in foreign speaking countries. So I, I think that in itself, while I came to America thinking, oh, it's going to be easy, I'm going to coach, <laughs> I'm going to coach an English language, no, it's not. And, I, and it's, when I say it's not easy, it's actually quite exciting because you get it right and you get big growth mm. in the players. And I, and I think one of the things this year is the Utah Warriors, I think we've grown. Uh, it's taken a little while, but I think we've grown. And I think that's probably a lot of credit goes to the assistant coaches, you know, Sean Davies and, and Robbie Abel. But we've made sure we've, we've put in simplistic framework. I always say that the Warriors are, well, the Warriors do the basics really well. We're exciting. When we try to be exciting, look basic you know? <laughs> and I think I think that's what it's like you know we score these amazing tries but we do it and people think we're doing these exciting things we're actually just doing the basics really well and I think that's the one thing about American rugby certainly after the Warriors let's not overcomplicate things so as a teacher I've got to keep it relatively basic because you know I could be dealing with someone with an incredibly high rugby intellect here through knowledge not, not talking about any other capacity just through knowledge is here and someone else whose rugby intellect is down here because they just don't have the knowledge. Do you think that doing those basic things, that's the that's the cure-all or that's the that's the magic pill to make sure that uh, we're not playing to our competition? Instead, we're forcing our competition to play to us. Oh, look, 100%. I, I think, you know, a game of rugby is about, you know, one is it's about, you've got to master the basics. The, the, the primary basis for me for rugby is the physical conditioning uh, underpins everything. So you've got to be physically in great condition. If you're in physical condition, then you're going to allow your skills and your tactics to be maximised. And if you allow your physical condition, your skills and your tactics to be max, maximised, then the mental capacity to be able to handle the pressure becomes better because you become confident. Mm -hmm. So from my, my, uh, you know, my point of view is it is about mastering doing the basics because it's a dynamic game. It happens so quickly. If you get complicated, then uh, you know you probably are not. You know, and if you haven't quite mastered the basics, then the complication creates confusion. And and so I am a real believer in be fit, be strong, be you know in the best physical condition, master the basics, and do them with intensity and accuracy. 
and that just gives you great confidence. How does that work into into players' pre-game, pre-match workout routines yep. that you want them to do? I mean, what what kind of things do you encourage them to do the most? Um, well, I think the important thing is that we as coaches, and we not just as coaches, but as game, we have game strategy. We have you know attack strategy, strategists. You know, we have players who who are in the attack groups. We have players who are in the defense groups. Who are in the set piece groups. So. There's no point in me coming out there and saying, right, this is what we're doing. I give my observation, we get buy-in as a group. And as the week progresses, as the week, and it has to be in a simplistic form. It can't be overcomplicated. So every week, we, we will have 80 90% of our game strategy, whether it's attack, defense, will never change. It'll be that 10 or 20% that has changed to suit who we're playing against. For example, if it's an attack, you know, we've got a fast line speed coming at us, then you know we have to operate slightly differently to a team that's holding, we call it you know, controlling, because we've got to go more at them. So there'll be strategies around that. It might be, you know, certain teams defend really well going open, you know, the same way. So we have strategies around that. So the critical thing is keep you've got your core game that won't change, but then you've got your weekly strategies that are that are formulated not just with the coaching group, but it's with the strategy groups as well. And I've just had a presentation now where I call it the game drivers. So the number nines and the number tens, the captain, vice captain, I sit down with them and I say, so how are we playing this game? So my involvement is pretty heavy on Monday, Tuesday, gets less by Thursday. By Friday, I'm almost, I'm handing over the game to the players, the other ones out there. Of course I'm wired up game day and of course I'm you know, giving some simple instructions but effectively they tell me how we're playing the game. So we meet with them 15 minutes before the team meeting and then they deliver. They say right, they get up and say this is how we're playing. I don't say anything. Is there a, any time for a coach, and rugby is so different than American football, you can't be animated and on the sideline yelling at your players and all that kind of thing. But is there any time where you've gone to the sheds during the half that you have a specific memory of, of you know, rallying the guys and boosting morale or any any kind of like major tweak that you've had to make in a game? Two weeks ago against Dallas, <laughs> I had a rant. Did you? <laughs> I had a rant. We we were very, very good. I'm not a ranter. Okay. I like, okay, so I would rather give a simple instruction at half time. I would rather give calm instructions because you know the, the the pressure of the game is already there but we were absolutely outstanding for 20 minutes we were textbook we did everything we talked about then a couple of individuals decided to do you know, did things that were a little bit off script so you know i had a rant and the second half we were actually very good attitude wise we just were a little bit inaccurate so generally speaking i don't rant i don't you know, but this one was I thought was a time and place. Another example was a warm-up game. I think we were playing Seattle. Now Seattle obviously you know be going well. Seattle had one lost one game to San Diego, probably didn't even deserve to lose that game. We were playing Seattle at home and I know a couple of the staff said, Oh, our boys look as though the attitude's not right because they were dropping the ball in the warm-up. Well it wasn't that. It was we were edgy. Um, so my what I did was just went in there, smiled at the guys and said, Hey look, um, had a good week yeah we've had a good week okay let's just relax and let's just you know enjoy the occasion so a different tack and I think probably through experience I'm being able to pick up the moments where hey look I need to do something that's probably different and it might be more animated versus hey look this is a time to calm everyone down 
who or what influences you the most uh, in your approach to, to coaching the game? Um, look, well, it would be straight up, I've sort of probably forged my own path. You know, I've had people in my life who, who you know, I've looked at. When it comes to coaching, I've, even as a player, when I was a player, I didn't look at a certain player and say, that's the player I want to be. Because I knew I had my physical strengths and my physical weaknesses and et cetera. So it was more about, as a player, it was, I like that guy's kicking style. You know, I like that guy's running style. Okay, I want a bit of that, I want a bit of that. When it comes to coaching, you know, there's been a lot of trial and error. I got thrown into coaching professionally at a very, very young age. Um, <laughs> it was in a very, it was a difficult situation uh, in, in terms of the team that I was with was going through some issues off the field. So I actually had to learn the hard way a little bit. You know, there's been people in my life who, you know, I'd look at and say, you know, I admire the way they did things. So, no, it was more about, I just, I suppose I've just forged my own path and I've made, you know, you know, as we know in life, you know, our failures are probably our greatest pathway to, to success, so long as we can negotiate and understand the learnings in those failures. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I found I feel as though that when things don't go well, I bounce back quickly. Uh, one of the things I've had to learn is when things go well, to actually look for how I can be better rather than dwell on things going well. How did your fight with cancer at 15 shape you as a person and as a cook? Uh, yeah, it, look, it has a, had an impact. Or clearly, had an impact. Uh, you know, for me, I you know being I wasn't told, but my mother and father were told he's got six months to live. Uh, and in six months' time, you're going to have, obviously, you know, it's going to, things are going to get pretty bad. So 8% chance of survival at the time, uh, and that was generally associated with amputation, with the illness that I had, the bone cancer that I had, so you could remove the primary site. So mine was in the first rib. Um, no chance of, obviously, they couldn't remove it because it makes nerves as well. So it made me pretty determined. I never once thought I was ever going to die. I, I didn't think like that I maybe it's naive maybe because I wasn't told I was going to die but my parents were told so I basically from day one even though as a youngster in New Zealand you know all youngsters rugby youngsters would love to be an all black it just became a a goal to be an all black and um I was always determined before that but I think I just I clearly got an extra boost and and there were some you know, incredibly difficult times over the two years of chemotherapy and radiotherapy and even post that, you know, I got injuries post that, that, um, you know, basically were associated, a little, little bit was associated with the, some of the issues that I had to go through. So, uh, but it, it created a, an absolute desire and, and, and resolve that, look, I need, I want to be an all black. And, and, um, and I think to this day, I, I probably can look back on dark times that I might go through and I can, I can compare that against probably the most, well, definitely the most significant dark time I've ever had. It's an interesting answer just because, you know, your, your daughter's health, uh, your youngest daughter's health is, has also been rough at times. And, and uh, you left your job at Stade Francais to, to go be with her. I think that shows a, a huge capacity of character that you have. Well, I think for me, well, you know, looking, I had cancer and, and while cancer is an absolutely devastating uh, illness and, and as we know, you know, there can be cure and there can be some terrible situations where people pass away. Uh, effectively, I was fortunate that I, I, I got through what I got through and uh, it never it came back. So, you know, this is many, many years ago. Whereas 
you know, my daughter's illness has, has been, she, I, I marvel at what she has gone through and what she at times continues to go through. Uh, and I, as I said, I look at her with incredible pride that, you know, she's become a, she, she's a nurse and the empathy and understanding that she has and what she puts back to people who are going through difficult times, I think can only, well, yes, of course, there's some wonderful nurses out there, but she's just got an edge. And that edge is an understanding that, you know, she knows what it's like. So it's an amazing attribute to have to be able to, to help those that, that. Oh, look, you know, she is, you know, she, she's gone, she went through a lot, as I said, and has, has, has continued to have a difficult time. She's got a, she's got a wonderful, uh, uh, fiance and, and, and life is, you know, as I said, she might have something happen from time to time, but. The ability of, of Alexandra to be able to um, to take it all in and move forward and, and, as I said, in her working life, to be able to add incredible value, not just to the patient, but to the patient's family. I, I think, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's been uh, aided and, and, uh, and enhanced by what she's been through, but it, it really speaks uh, incredible volume for her. What's your favorite rugby moment through your history career? I look, it would have to be my first test against France, uh, my first international game. Uh, you know, the, the French team were an incredible French team, going through a little bit of issues. But, you know, I'm up against a guy called Serge Blanco, who was the probably one of the world's greatest ever players. And, and I'd looked at him, he was a bit slightly older than me, and I looked at him and, you know, thought, what a great, what an incredible player. Um, but it was at the back of, I, I think I stopped treatment. I stopped treatment three years prior to that. And here I am in New Zealand in Christchurch, up against this great French side. Uh, Mum and Dad in the stand, they'd been through it. You know, they'd been through a lot. I always, I used to get angry with myself that I was putting my family through a tough time. And I always thought I could handle it. I thought, this is not nice that they have to go through this. And to actually give something, almost feel as I'm giving something back to them, um, was, was really special. So... No, it was, and I. This is really incredible. I, I talk about, you know, you hear about deja vu. I used to dream in my tough times. I'd I'd dream about playing for the All Blacks. I'd dream about. I'd get this visualization of of a um, of me wearing the All Black rugby jersey, singing my national anthem with my with my teammates around me. I ran out and, uh, to play against France, and honestly, well, I it felt as I'd been there so many. I felt as I that moment. Uh, this is familiar. I'll be here. Obviously, I hadn't. But you know, when I'm when I'm you know just spent two days at the back of chemotherapy and feeling really really bad, and then having to train, get food into me, having to train, having to build up to get knocked down again, all that sort of thing, and then getting this vision, getting this you're going to play for the All Blacks, all this sort of stuff, um, and it happened time and time and time again. You know, getting some food into me, going for a run. So all of that. And then, and then actually experiencing that moment, it was yeah, it has to be the greatest moment in my in my rugby career. I have a theory that deja vu is actually just your soul telling you you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, and and look, and I've I've had many moments through you know through my time, and you know I grew up a Catholic, and and um, and I had you know things that helped me through my treatment were clearly my family, clearly. You know, my uh, my friends, uh, the doctors that I had total belief in, the medicine, all that sort of thing. 
and and my religious beliefs because when you know when there were times when I thought well oh, this isn't great or whatever and you know well, the comfort of my religious beliefs was uh, helped me through that so and that's a personal thing I you know I don't I don't go out and talk to people about that it was just it was just a personal thing that that I had and uh, so you know there's many factors and you know and I there are a number of unexplained things for me over my in my life and and I don't know where I don't know the answers to that all I know is at certain times in my life there were things that you know helped me or things that I can't explain what has been um the most rewarding part of playing and then coaching well I think I think personal Achieving personal goals is always a great thing, you know. As, as a rugby player, uh, you know, I, you know, you set yourself at something. You go, you make the sacrifices. You, you know, you do. You have to make incredible sacrifices. Whether it's, you know, missing out on things that other people do. Whether it's getting an injury and overcoming that injury. Um, all of that, you know, if you, that is probably one of the most to get to the end goal after you've sacrificed so much and put so much in. Um, so, so, hey, what do we got? From the Warriors. From now, you're you see that, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so it's it's probably overcoming. It's probably overcoming or the getting to an end end goal after so much has gone in. That that'll be a that's a personal thing. I've also had a lot of. I also get a lot. I used to get a lot of satisfaction as a player, and particularly through my circumstances, that giving I don't know some form of comfort back or whatever to family who you know had to give so much for me to be able to achieve that. And as a as a coach, probably the greatest thing I get as a coach is actually seeing the reward that the players get, not just the players, the fans get, the people that employ me, the organisation. And I'm loving at the moment that the Warriors are going through some good moments. Obviously, I want those moments to continue. But for me, I I think that my greatest satisfaction is not titles, not the winning of the games. It's more about the feel-good factor that, that I see from those who maybe I can help allow that feel-good factor to happen. And as I said, it's the players making the feeling after a game, you know, the effort they've put in, the selection for the USA Eagles squad, because the number of players have got that. That's a really good feel for me. Um, coming into work and seeing, coming into work and seeing the marketing department, the ticket department, all of these people just happy with the result. That's just, that's that's what really actually gives me the biggest buzz, to be honest. Um, of course, I love to win the championship here, and that'll be great because that'll be great again. I don't know if it's of course I'll take personal satisfaction in that but it's what it would feel like on a Monday coming into the office and seeing the people who work so hard because I don't I do my job I, I, I love what I do and I do my job but I also fully aware that my job is probably seen out there as, as maybe a catalyst for a number of things but it doesn't mean to say I work any harder than anyone else in this organisation in fact I know people that work a lot harder than I work um, even though I try to do my best so for me, it's that seeing the feel-good factor for others is, is a big part of my enjoyment in coaching. Sick. Well, Coach Co- Coach Cooper, thank you so much again for 
for being with us. I'm glad that we could help out and get you to practice, but uh, you have a great day and, and we'll have to do this again. Well, absolutely my pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'd enjoy doing that.